This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Well, with the economy seemingly getting a little bit better, the purchasing of luxury items is seemingly on the rise as well. But the pattern of buying of these items is changing with the growth of the online world. The Baker Retailing Center here at the Wharton School is looking at the changes in purchasing, customer experience, and more in this part of the retail segment. Joining us here in the studio to discuss this, Barbara Kahn, who's the director of the Baker Retailing Center and also a professor here at the Wharton School. Denise Dahlhoff is the research director here at the Baker Center as well. Great to see you both. Thank you. It's been a couple of weeks since we were all in in New York. Great to have you here. it's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, The changes in in shopping just in general, in buying in general, obviously we are seeing a greater shift towards, towards buying online in general. This shift is happening as well with with luxury. It's happening, but it's much slower. And part of the reason it's not happening as quickly as it is in the rest of the sector, retail sector, is because luxury is about scarcity, exclusivity, and the Internet is about mass and (laughs) reducing those boundaries. And so it's a real conflict. Uh, But, of course, if people are shopping online, luxury is going to have to go in that direction. But it's... The different luxury companies have gone about it in different strategic ways to preserve the luxury premiums. Like how? Well, for example, some of the really high-end luxury companies don't actually sell items online. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they'll sell little things like cosmetics and fragrances, but they won't sell their really high-end pieces. You can see them. The websites are Some of the websites are beautiful, showing you that luxurious experience. Mm-hmm. But if you want that luxury product, you have to still go to the physical retail store. And, and I, I mentioned this earlier to somebody, is that if you go back you know, 30 years or so, it, it was about if you were going to buy a luxury item, you went into the store, whether it was a car or whatever it was, you went into the store and you wanted to feel almost pampered. Right. And that is obviously still a, a piece to it, but maybe not as much as it was, say, 34 oh, years no, ago. Oh, no, it's still, still very important. That luxury experience is very important and yeah. you can feel it in the store. Now, some of the retailers are playing around with can you give that exclusive luxury experience over the internet right. through chatting or real personalization? Perhaps it can be done, but they just don't want to lose that luxury experience or a luxury product or yeah. anything like that by diffusing it through the internet. This topic was, was part of a paper that was put together off of a conference that uh, that the Baker Retailing Center did. Kind of go through, Denise, the, the, kind of the, the, the bullet points, the biggest points of, of this paper and how it all came about. So just for a background, we organized this conference last year because we figured that online luxury retailing was actually a big topic in the retailing sector. Mm-hmm. And so we had academics from all over the world as well as leading uh, retail executives discuss the most important topics and so topics such as branding as Barbara already pointed out you know the high-end luxury brands want to preserve their brand image and so that was one key topic we also talked about you know the importance of all the digital technologies in stores for example and the impact or topics such as counterfeiting which is becoming more of an issue also because it's sold online yeah. as well as pricing because you can you know compare prices very easily online including globally the concern over over counterfeiting and there's so many pieces to get into but how big of an issue still is that today with the retail sector in general 
Oh, it's huge. And it's, <laughs> it's getting bigger with online. Yeah. Tens, because... tens of millions of dollars, maybe uh, even I'm, more. I'm not sure what the numbers are, but yeah. it is definitely a huge issue. And it's not just in luxury. It's across the board. And yeah. lots of One of the biggest problems actually in counterfeiting is in pharmaceuticals and drugs and things like that. And then you can imagine there's health issues there as well. Sure, yeah. Here there's brand equity issues, brand image issues, and things like that. And there's a whole range of different counterfeits. There's counterfeits where you can look at it and obviously tell it's a fake to counterfeits that are absolutely every good in, at, in quality, if you compare, as yeah. the originals. And so that's a whole continuum of it. It's all an issue. The, yeah, the differences are definitely narrowing in the quality and the perception as well. And one big issue has been that brands want to work with platforms like as eBay or Alibaba in China mm -hmm. to help them to you know, curb counterfeiting to, to sell the, through those platforms. But Alibaba hasn't been as forthcoming. eBay has been better in, in trying to... But even that, even when they do that, it's quite difficult because the laws are different in different places. So where right. you buy it and where you pick it up, you might have one ruling. For example, even on eBay, there was a case with, ruled in the, in the company's favor in one state and against the company in another state. Well, and hasn't the U.S. government taken a, a, a little bit of a, of a greater viewpoint and, and importance on the, the, the fact that counterfeiting does come from other countries and comes into the United States as well. Yeah, a lot. there's a lot of counterfeiting being done in China, and the cultural differences between the U.S. and China yeah. are quite strong. And so China is a culture where I don't say they support counterfeiting, but it's easier to get by there than, say, in Italy, where they're completely against it. That's their whole economy in Italy, that luxury economy, and they just are very much against counterfeiting. Well, and you, you, we were talking before you came in, you, you were just in Italy and, and took a, a group of, uh, of students over there for, uh, for a, a class. That, that dynamic is, how different is it? The mindset, obviously, seemingly is quite a bit different than what we have here in the United States. You mean in Italy yeah. versus the U.S.? Yeah. Oh, yes. In Italy and in France, that's the that's the seat of luxury, which is why we took, David Bell and I teach a course on luxury, and we take about 30 MBA students over to, uh, to Milan yeah. in order to really understand that difference. And just as you're suggesting, you kind of have to be there to see the difference in the culture in, in Milan and in Paris to luxury here. Some of the brands that we call luxury here, like Michael Kors or Tory Burch, the... the <laughs> They don't, make the first, yeah, right. they don't make the first list. <laughs> right, exactly. They're seen as more affordable luxury in some sense, or accessible luxury. Whereas they'll talk about LVMH, and even LVMH is starting to a little bit of mass luxury. Yeah. But Hermes is, or Chanel, those are the ones that are really seen as very high luxury. So this shift in terms of, of luxury into, into the digital world, it's a slow process. Is it something that the expectation of a lot of retailers that it will continue to happen, maybe even on a quicker level in the next couple of decades? Yeah, it's definitely going there. And you also have to differentiate between the purchasing versus the marketing. Sure. So as yeah. Barbara said, many people are, are the, the world is shifting online. So people look for reviews and for information and for background on these brands. And they do a lot of research. They might still go to the store to the get all the pampering experience that we talked about earlier. <laughs> so that's still important. So those channels are actually complementary, but people are definitely very comfortable also making bigger transactions um, online. 
Yeah, so you do see some luxury purchases online now, but still the companies are trying to resist that. But there is a real advantage because a lot of what's happening with these luxury brands is the legacy, the story, the history. And if you do a really good job online, you can actually use that channel to enhance the brand. And then you can have the in-store experience, the luxury in-store experience, going on in the physical store. Isn't that legacy, though, I mean, in many cases, that's something that is passed down from generation to generation, from parent to child. And and that is an important piece, I guess, to the whole marketing angle that probably isn't talked a lot about in the mainstream media. Uh, But it is, that is absolutely what, and that's what differentiates the French and the Italian brands, by the way, because they're hundreds of years old, royalty and all of that. And that gives them this differential advantage that the new brands can't copy. And so that's a sustainable advantage and they really want to protect that legacy. The only brand in the U.S. that has that historic legacy is Tiffany's. Tiffany started the same time as Hermes in 1837, I think. And if you go to the Tiffany website now, you'll see that they're really touting their historical legacy. So they're using that channel in a way to build up the exclusivity around the brand. It's it's hard to build that, I guess, here in the United States because of the fact that (laughs) seemingly, I mean, mean, things are changing so fast. One company's in next week and they're out three months later, right? Right, right. But if you look at the luxury brands today versus 100 years ago, you know, Gucci, Chanel, they're all the same. Yeah. They haven't changed. And that's what's that's what they're trying to protect, that legacy. There's actually a really great tag, uh, tagline by Patek Philippe, the... Uh Philippe Patek, the Swiss watchmaker, it goes something like you actually never own this watch, but you hand it down to the next generation, which is exactly that. But now in this uh, day and age, also to you, you mentioned like, you know, reaching a younger audience because they are online. Yeah. It's it's a really great opportunity for luxury brands to be online, to be where younger segments are, to reach them and to build their future customer base. That's actually a really interesting issue for the luxury brands as well. Yeah. One of the issues is this online versus offline, and we explain why that's tricky because yeah. you want to protect the exclusivity. The other issue is whether or not the millennials who and the Generation Z, I guess we're talking yeah. about, yep. the yep. younger people, yeah. um, really respect the luxury brands in the same way the older generations did. And you're seeing a real shift in the generations to more sustainability, to more of this online, to more of this tech. And so it's not clear that the luxury brands will, uh, you know, that millennials will relate to the luxury brands in the same way the past generations have. We're joined here in the studio by uh, Barbara Kahn and Denise Dahlhoff. We're talking about uh, luxury online. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, part of the paper it talks about the strategy that if luxury is going to go online, that realistically they need to uh, take. And some of the things that they're thinking about, what is basically the strategy that's, that some of these luxury brands that are kind of dipping their toe in the water there, what are they trying to do? What, what, are they, what do they see as the process they have to do to be successful? Well, one advantage of also of being online and digital is that you can collect data about customers. Sure, yeah. So you can, for example, in terms of pampering your customers and really catering to their needs is to personalize more. You can curate a website better. You know their past purchase history. But another opportunity is also online are the, is 
another outlet for creativity, for example, for more visual and for more video, for example. Yeah. It seems apparently really hard to find good video talent. So you have to go to Hollywood to get really good directors <laughs> of, you know, like good videos that, that would actually meet the the quality standards of a luxury brand. So yeah. there are opportunities for brands to reach beyond or to to even enhance their you know the brand image. But seemingly the the fact that as we've joked on the show is that content is king in this in this day and age. Certainly that provides the opportunity for a lot of these people in Hollywood to be able to do <laughs> a lot of this work because I mean, that, that's that's a great way to reach the consumer these days. Yeah, and it's very interesting because, as Denise said, the level of the video that has to be produced for a luxury brand is so high. Yeah. It has to be high because yeah. you want to protect that brand image. That becomes a very expensive endeavor. And so they try to leverage that. You'll see they'll do – you'll see if you go into physical stores now, there's a lot more of that video in the phys physical store, a lot more of those screens. Yeah. And so that omni-channel experience, you can see it online. They produce those videos to make the web website as attractive as it is, and then they leverage that video back in the store. I guess it's a little bit of a, of a change for some of those retailers to be able to do this. It's similar, I guess, to what like the high-end auto industry has done for, for decades when they are marketing their vehicles to, to that segment of the public. They have been able to put forth that high-end video right. that, that they really need to be able to sell a $60,000 or $70,000 vehicle. It's similar to, let's say, a Tiffany's. They, you know that that needs absolutely to, to do the that. luxury car market is very much in this luxury sector, and it's interesting that you did see those commercials for the luxury cars previously, and you didn't for these apparel and jewelry brands before. Yeah. But now you're right; it's a very similar kind of thing. Is part of it also the fact that uh, I guess uh, in maybe the luxury segment itself was not per se hurt as much by the by the downturn in the economy it was to some degree but the fact that the economy is coming back a little bit and and more people are willing to make uh, you know to to make some of these purchases that the doors are opening even more for a lot of these retailers that maybe they weren't set, you know 6 7 years ago yeah actually that segment of the retail market has been doing reasonably well and so globally i mean there well, was well the problem though is that the business in china has flattened and a okay, lot yeah. of a lot of what has you know upheld the luxury business during the recession was China. Yeah. And that was a huge customer. But that business is flattening for a couple of reasons. One, because the government has cracked down on gifting and using gifts to I don't know, want to say bribe, you know. Yeah. Um, no, you, you can, yeah, absolutely, because that's what we're talking about, yeah, yes. And also the Chinese consumer has gotten a lot more sophisticated. And right. so buying into some of these European luxury brands is not as desirable as it once was. They're, they're, they're spreading their money in different places. So the softening of the Chinese market has been a big issue in the luxury in the luxury industry. So then how will those partnerships between companies, as you mentioned, like Alibaba or eBay and, and these luxury brands kind of, do you think, develop over the next several years? Because it, seemingly if they've dipped one toe in, they're probably going to dip two and three coming up in the in the years to come. I mean, yeah, that's the kind of thing. And Alibaba's been tricky to deal with. Yeah. You know, there's certain things that they allowed Alibaba. You, you might know this, the counterfeiting council that, you know, 
but yeah, when when Alibaba joined when them Ali- and then other yeah, members then everybody left. Else yeah. Dropped, yeah. <laughs> so Well, that's not a good sign <laughs> yeah, right there. Right, yeah. Yeah, so there's you know another interesting uh, thing in in luxury I think is the role of tech. So, sure, you yeah. know, you think of an Apple Watch now. I mean, they're trying to make it a luxury watch. I don't think they sold too many of those no. gold ones. No, they didn't do well. <laughs> yeah, no. right. But but the Swiss companies are thinking about should they make their watches smart? Or Ralph Lauren put technology in their shirts, and yeah. uh, uh, Rebecca Minkoff has put a lot of technology in their store and things like that. And lot, so that role of technology in luxury is an interesting conflict also. Some of the retailers that, that do athletic uh, uh, athletic gear are putting more and more tech into their shirts so that people can under you know can monitor their heart rate and, and do that. And, and, that's, and that's an investment, which obviously ends up being a, a, an additional price point to, to what they're doing. Yeah, and whether or not the classic 100, 200-year-old luxury brands will put tech in their product is yeah. an interesting thing. Because, for example, when I was in Italy, what they really emphasize is made by hand, handmade, hand-stitched. Yeah. That, that's, you can't get that anywhere else. And so technology is kind of the, <laughs> the opposite of handmade. Well, how much, how, much does, does, how much has the pricing of these items been affected because of, of the online entity and the, and the level of digital technology out there right now? So with online, you, are, of course, have way more price t- transparency, not just domestically, but also globally. So yeah. you have to make sure companies have been thinking about, should we standardize more globally? And yeah. some companies have gone that way. Other companies like LVMH didn't follow. So The one that is what, the most interesting, that is, is Chanel. Yeah, so Chanel is one of the companies that standardize. Um, but for example, one, one uh, strategy to to counter that is to have specific items that you only ser- sell in certain countries. So you can't easily compare prices across borders, for example. But yeah, for sure, the price has been has become more of an issue also with the exchange, you know, currency exchange uh, issues. Sure, yeah. So that's yeah. If you used to go problem. to if you used to go to Europe, you'd see these long lines of Chinese tourists outside the <laughs> Chanel store because you could buy Chanel product much cheaper in sure, Europe yeah. than you could in China. Yeah. But you still see the long lines, though, even though they have standardized the prices. Is there a concern uh, by some of these retailers that that their pricing for some of these items is going to be I don't want to say significantly different, but it's going to be changed going forward even more than what we're seeing right now. You mean lowered? The yeah, price? yeah. They're resisting that. You know, they're trying to justify the luxury premium. Yeah. And one of the ways they talk about it in Europe is, you know, luxury is non-comparable. See, premium price is higher quality at a higher price. Yeah. That that associates. Yeah. When you think about luxury pricing, you're supposed to think about it like art. You know, you can't compare it. <laughs> you know, right. you can't put a price on it. Yeah. You think of that as the value of the luxury good is such and such. And they don't want to make those comparisons. They resist it. Well, what about the, uh, you mentioned like the, with the Apple Watch and the smartwatches out there right now. Uh, what kind of effect has that had or not had on the luxury watchmakers that are out there? Because that's one of those items that, you know, for, for a long time is seen as kind of, that, that that traditional, you know, it's a great piece. If you have it, men like to have it, women like to have it. How much has that changed or potentially will that change because of the, the, the addition of the smartwatch? 
There are probably different consumer segments too, because in luxury you can also think, you know, there's the craftsmanship, which you talked sure, yeah, about, about yeah. the traditional retailing. But now in when you talk about tech products, often the sophistication of a consumer, the education, you know, the ability to use like a, a tech device comes into play too. So that can be also a newer there form of luxury. There are some of the Swiss watchmakers that are, that in, are integrating. Do you know which yeah. ones have it? Uh, a few have started to integrate smart technology and it's actually almost not visible. It still looks like a traditional watch, right, right, but right. So it's really neatly done. Do you know which brands have done it? or? Uh, can't remember but the which con- ones. But, but realistically, the consumer, if they know that the, a specific watchmaker, be it Swiss, whatever it might be, and they've had that traditional look and, and that quality for decades, they don't want to change. Right. They, they want to keep it the same. Even if, as you said, they're kind of disguising a little bit the, the smart technology in there, as long as you still have that same viewpoint, uh, that same look. The, the consumer's still probably going to come to that product. Yeah, I mean, to and the materials, you know, real gold and diamonds yeah. and things like that will still make it a luxury watch, even if it's a smart watch. But it is kind of, I mean, this has happened before. Like, the luxury watches were not bought because they told time well. A yeah. swatch would tell time as well sure. as a luxury watch. <laughs> exactly. So that, that, that thing has happened for a while, that the watch is more a piece of jewelry. But the issue is how much technology they do want to put in it at some point. Because, as you're saying, there's a more sophisticated consumer that's going to want to that's going to want that 844 wharton is the number to give us a call 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question of our guest barbara khan denise Dalov, uh both here of the wharton school and the baker retailing center barbara you here uh here on sirius xm 111 uh every uh, weekday or i should say every week wednesdays from five <laughs> thank boy, god that, boy, that would be, uh, that'd be really <laughs> yeah. fun for your schedule every week every wednesday from uh, five to seven p.m as part of the marketing matters uh show uh i guess then in kind of encompassing what all was put together in in the paper, what is the expectation for retail going into the next 15 to 20 years of how much they will adapt some of this online online retail? I mean, they're going to have to even more so than probably they have right now. Yeah, they will go, mo- go more that route. Um, I guess there is still a lot of experimenting and, you know, gathering experience going on. So, um, but I think we'll see way more changes, you know, not just with technology, but also, you know, the other trends like demographics, you know, there yeah. is, there are millennials, as Barbara said, there are new values coming in such, such as, you know, sustainability and corporate citizenship, um, things like that, like new kinds of, you know, consumer behavior and attitudes will play into that as well. Barbara? Yeah, I do think you're going to see changes in the customer experience as they embrace this omni-channel yeah. approach. And that'll be very interesting to get a luxury omni-channel approach, you know? I mean, I'm really looking forward to be pampering on, be pampered online, in the store, have all my information. You know, personalization is also somewhat of an interesting thing in luxury. Yeah. Because if I, if I come in and try to personalize a luxury product... I'm a terrible designer. You know, the luxury, <laughs> the luxury designer doesn't want to do that. So there's this push-pull thing about how customer-centric a luxury product should be. But isn't that doesn't that go back to what we were saying a second ago? Is that if if somebody has bought a watch from a specific ma- maker and they have, have, I mean, it's a great timepiece. It looks great, as you said. It, it almost is a piece of jewelry. 
the personalization of it, it would probably take something away from it. Right. That's the other conflict, interesting thing about luxury, because you're you're buying a great designer's vision. Yeah. And, but personalization says you should make it just for me, right. you know, to reflect my preferences. And so there is that very... So you think about customization like Nikes, you can, you know, make them any color you want. Yeah. Uh, Ferragamo's not going to want you, you to just use your color sense to design their coats and things, so or their ties. So it's kind of interesting... Uh, another conflict. And some companies actually, not just in luxury, but also in the mass market, have involved their customers in like in the sort of co-created kind of designs. Yeah, yeah. And like the core customers, especially of luxury brands, don't like that because of, as Barbara said, it's more like an art piece, you know, the designer's vision and you don't want to buy yeah. something that your fellow consumer actually created. But you can work around that, for example, if the designer assigns a person like another celebrity or you know designates somebody somebody as an artist then consumers will be more accepting of like something that's not designed by the real designer great to have you both here thanks oh, very much for, thank for coming you. on thank you thank you very much thank you barbara barbara khan denise dalhoff from the baker retailing center joining us here in the studio for more business news and analysis from knowledge at wharton please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu